How many of you are glad to have an extra hour sleep? All right. I'm glad because I get an extra hour to preach. Let's do this. So a few years ago, I started something with our staff. I called it the Dead Guy Book Club. And what we did is we read books by dead guys. And the reason I did that was there's this saying by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, it is a good rule after reading a new book never to allow yourself another new one until you have read an old one in between. And we felt that um, having, or C.S. Lewis felt that, having the perspective of someone outside your time and outside your culture would give us the ability to hear things that we normally wouldn't hear from people who don't recognize what's actually going on because they can't see uh, the forest because of the trees. And so the first book that we studied together was an old business book by a guy named Peter Drucker, and the book was called The Effective Executive. I don't know how many of you have read The Effective Executive. Fantastic book. And the second chapter is worth the price of the entire book. The second chapter is entitled, Know Thy Time. Peter Drucker says, effective executives, in my observation, do not start with their tasks. They start with their time. And they do not start out with planning. They start out by finding out where their time actually goes. And then they attempt to manage their time and to cut back unproductive demands on their time. And so that really spoke to me because at the time I used a task management software called Wonderlist. And in my Wonderlist, as I was reading that chapter, I checked and I had 117 things to get done. Now, is there anybody that can sympathize with that? If you don't actually have an actually a list where you have 117 things, we certainly know what it feels like to have too many things to get done in a short span of time. Well, then uh, there was a guy named Stephen Covey who took all of Peter Drucker's work and he put it into a practical framework. And Covey came up with, and popularized at least, what he called the four quadrants. Look on the screen back here with me. What What Covey said is that every single one of us had the same amount of time. How much time do we have in a week? 168 hours. And we all get to decide where we're going to deploy our time, right? And that all of us deploy our time in only one, two, or three, or four at the most quadrants. Covey said if you took a piece of paper and you made four lines, two vertical, two horizontal, and then you put it at the top left, this column would be urgent, this column would be not urgent, and then the top column would be important, and the bottom column would be not important, you will notice that your time equally comes down to four quadrants. And so what I want you to think about is all of the things that you have on your to-do list right now, all of the things that you want to get done, all of the things you have to get done, and then how then you actually use your time. Quadrant one is the uh, urgent, and it's important. You're having a heart attack, 
you need to go to the hospital. It's 11.45, you need to eat lunch, right? You're going to put that on your schedule. Um, not urgent, but important, we'll refer to things like what? Help me out. Tired cleaning? Is that what it? <laughs> Exercise, eating right, um, uh, going to church, reading your Bible, investing. Like there's no one beating you on the back of your head saying you need to do these and it's forcing your hand. These are things that it takes a tremendous amount of character and discipline and courage but if you focus on these things, these are the more, most important things you need to do. What Covey says is that you need to spend 20% of your time on the urgent and important, but you need to spend 80% of your time on the not urgent but important. Those of you who own businesses, you can easily think, what are the activities that no one is literally beating me on the side of the head to do, but I know that if I did this, it would make an 80% difference in my sales. It would make an 80% difference in the quality of our interaction with the staff and things like that. However, what Covey notices is that the vast majority of our time doesn't go to the top quadrant, the vast majority of our time goes to the bottom quadrant. The urgent, but not important. Give me an example of something that we do that is urgent, but not important. Need to hear from someone that's not going to hell. Can we do that? <laughs> Urgent but not important. How many of you get alerts on your phone? Raise your hand if you grew up in a time where you actually didn't have a cell phone. Okay? Is the world going to end if you don't return that text message immediately? I put an app on my phone. I took it off after six months because I couldn't stand to look at it. It measured how much time I spent on my phone and on social media. Think about this. Is Facebook, what quadrant is Facebook in? What? It's not urgent. Well, it's probably urgent for a lot of people, but it's definitely not important. How about social media? How about watching television? Think about all of the time that we waste on not important and not urgent activities. So much of our time, so much of our attention in business, in relationships, in family, in life is spent on things that are not important and not urgent. I remember a friend of mine, her name was Verna. She said, um, can you go and visit my dad in the hospital? I said, sure. And uh, this is when we lived in Dayton. And um, she said, the doc he, he's, been, he's had cancer for a long time. The doctors think he has not long to live. Now, on my activities, I had a list a mile long of things that were not urgent and they were important. Where does this, where does this fall in there? So I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Verna said that her dad had made fun of her her whole life because of her belief in God and her commitment in going to church. 
So I thought, man, this is not going to go well. This is going to be a conversation that's going to go sideways real fast. So I make time. I go to the hospital. I'm doing this for Verna. And when I get there, he can't speak. He can only communicate with his eyes. And so, as you can tell, as an introvert with someone that could only speak with their eyes, it was a pretty short conversation. Did not go very long. So I prayed for him. I went out to the elevator. And as the elevator, it, it rung, dinged. I thought to myself, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's not going to heaven. He's going to die. Okay, what if he does yell at me? Like he's yelled at her, his daughter every single time he's, she's ever brought up Jesus. So he yells at me, at me. What's the worst that can happen? I walked back into that hospital room and I sat down and then I leaned over and I said, I want you to look at me. I said, if you understand what I'm saying, I want you to blink your eyes twice. And he went, I said, so your daughter asked me to come here and um, I prayed with you, but I, I need to ask for your forgiveness because I'm so busy with stuff that's going on in my life right now, I figured I would come in and I would sit with you for 10 to 15 minutes, I would pray and I would be done. I need to ask for your forgiveness because whether or not you believe it, you're going to die in a few days and without Christ in your life and accepting the, his payment of his death on the cross, you're going to stand before God and he's going to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And what are you going to say to him? And he just stared at me. I said, you will have nothing to say to him. But I need to apologize because I know how you can get there. And so I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how many regrets that you have and how, how much you, you wonder whether or not God will forgive you right now. I want to share the gospel with you right now. And I spent the next hour with him going through scripture and sharing with him forgiveness in Christ and all of that. And I'm very happy to say that he died a day later, but I'm going to see him in heaven. Now, the reason I, I was so broken up over that is how much time do I waste on urgent and non-urgent, unimportant activities? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 4, he said, hey, listen, I want you to, to devote yourselves to prayer. I want you, like an athlete, I want you to commit to it. And I want you to be watchful and thankful. Watchful for what? He goes on. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim Christ, the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And I want you to look at verse 5 with me. 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. In Greek, it literally reads, walk in wisdom toward the outside ones. Buy back time. And you read that and you're like, how do I translate that into English? Walk in wisdom towards the outside ones. Buy back time. Walk in wisdom is an Old Testament injunction. We hear this when we read the book of Proverbs, where it pleads with us to walk in wisdom, that our culture is constantly encouraging us to live in ways that are stupid. So be wise, Paul is saying, towards who? The outside ones, the people who are outside the Christian community, who may even regularly go to church, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. And then he says, buy back time. And this is a theological word, where we, the word redeem means to buy back. We're like Jesus buys us back from slavery. And what Paul is saying is, can you put that um, quadrant back up here? Think of the vast majority of time that we waste down here doing things that don't matter. The apostle Paul says, redeem it. Take it back under control and do something that will reach the people, the outside ones. Buy back this time and then do things that are urgent and important in the kingdom to reach these people. The, the, uh, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That is something that we need to be devoting the absolute vast majority of our quadrant one and our quadrant two time to, to reaching people that are in Jerusalem, people that live in the 422 corridor. That's our 422 corridor. Judea and Samaria, that's the Philadelphia metro area. And then the ends of the earth. I shared, if you weren't here in the last couple weeks, I shared how about three weeks ago, I think it was, God woke me up in the middle of the night, and I told people that day, I just don't believe like God's speaking to you, like, hey, man, how's it going today? Cool, Jesus, how's it going with you? Um, but God just really impressed on my heart the scripture verse. It was like 2.33 o'clock in the morning, and it was a scripture verse, Revelation 2.5, repent then and do the things that you did at first. And I thought back to the times of my life when I was sharing the gospel and making my life fully available to God to use however he, he would, and how often since I've become a Christian, I've wasted time, precious time that I'm never going to get back doing things that don't matter. This is why we're in the middle of launching an initiative that we're calling Cannonball. Now, Last week I talked about how I'm not very good at diving off a board, but I can do cannonballs. And I don't know if you know this, there's a thing called the World Cannonball Championships. <laughs> and um, this guy right here is the grand champion of the World Cannonball Championships. Take a look. Um, they're right here. So, now listen. Listen. Would you be willing to dive off that board and do a cannonball for $100,000. You do it for a hundred grand? <laughs> John's doing it. Count me in, baby. Now, 
here's the thing. I want you to look at this. Um, do you remember back, it was like not this fall, but the last fall, I think it was, uh, where Eric challenged me to go to a haunted house? And I'm petrified of haunted houses. And I told him, I'm going to get you back. And so at Easter, um, we showed a video where uh, we went to Dr. Meshach and had him put us in a machine that would give us contractions. And conveniently, mine was not turned on, which I thought was hysterical. So what I did is I, I challenged our teaching team um, to do a cannonball. So we, we called every single place we could find in the Tri-County area to find the biggest, the tallest place that would let us do a cannonball, and we finally found a place. Do you want to see the video? You'll have to come to Vision Night tonight to see that. (laughs) How's that? How's that? Got to come to Vision Night. Um, In the book of Acts, I love this. The apostle says, Paul and his companions, these were people that had gone to this city called Thessalonica, which is in northern Greece. And the mob grabbed him, and they took, they took Paul and his companions to the city officials because they were going to have him killed. And the mob said to the officials that they need to arrest and kill these people because these are the people who have turned the world upside down. And they've come here too. That's always been my dream for this church. That's my dream for you. That's Jesus' dream for you, is that you would be the kind of person that he could use that would just upend things. And people would find their way back to God because of you. So Cannonball, what we're going to do for two years, it's a two-year initiative, we're going to make three big waves. The first wave that we're going to do is we're going to have a wave collectively of local impact. This is going to be throwing our resources, our time, and our energy into locally in the Philadelphia region through our church, everything that we're going to do. Everything that we're going to do through our kids, our students, and adults. Last week, we talked about night to shine. I talked about my aunt that had special needs her whole life, and I have a heart for people that have kids and grandkids that have special needs. And so we're going to have a big prom in February, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to use that as a launch pad to reach out to people in the region that have special needs. We're going to, we've baptized right now 2,518 people. We've never seen... I know. We've never... We've never seen in a two-year period of time 300 people all collectively come to Christ, but that's what we're going to be praying for. We're also praying for a wave of international impact where right now we currently sponsor 400 kids. We would like to see 600 kids sponsored from birth to high school to college to graduation, and those kids that you're sponsoring, God willing, God will provide a way for you to fly over and go to their graduation and to go to their weddings. We're going to plant five more churches in India. We're going to plant a church in Panama. Um, I had the the privilege of spending this week um, with Jose Rodriguez, our church planner in Panama. Spent two days coaching him 
on how to plant a church. He's planted 16 different small little churches, but he's never planted one church. And so I had the opportunity to sit down with him. I learned just as much from him as he learned from me, but we went through the finer points of how to launch a church. Anyway, he said, hey, can I send a message to the people back at CCV? And I was like, sure, man, here it is. So here's Jose. Here's Jose. I am very grateful for you and thank you very much. I remember you when you visit me here, everybody coming here. I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for Cannonball because you, you include us in Panama City and the planting churches here in Panama. I really appreciate this. I invite you, come back again in March here or in the other month or three times or four times, but you invite to come in here in Panama City. I am excited for you. Thank you very much, Brian Jones, Dan Rochelle, and everybody, my friend there. Ah, en español. También gracias a todos por habernos apoyado aquí en Panamá. Estamos contentos. Si tú hablas español, gracias por orar por nosotros y por esta nueva iglesia que vamos a abrir aquí en Panamá City. Gracias, Dios te bendiga y te espero aquí en Panamá pronto, en marzo, o en cualquier otro mes, pero te espero. Bendiciones. I'm glad he did it that way. I didn't have to translate it to Spanish. So um, one of the problems that we're facing in Panama City is it's sort of like when we started the church here. Um, PV School District wouldn't let me um, start, a, start a church in their facilities. And so I was ready to contact a lawyer. And I thought that's probably not the best way to start a church. Well, we can't get into the school districts down there right now. So we took him to a movie theater. And he was really apprehensive about whether a movie theater would work. And I'm like, I know it works in the States. We have to find out whether it works here in Panama. So they have one with, with 12 theaters. We could use half of the theater, just like we did in Oaks. And he was still really apprehensive. And so as we're walking out, there's a couple with a 10-year-old kid and a 7-year-old kid. And I grabbed him. I was like, Jose, come here. So I grabbed this couple. I said, ask him a question. He was like, what do you want me to ask them? I was like, ask them whether or not they would meet in a movie theater. 20 minutes later, we're like, Jose, come on, man. You know, you've met Jose, man. He just loves people, and he's connected with them. And the people were like, the people in Panama love new things, and meeting in a movie theater would be a great idea. So, so God willing, that, that might be the, the thing that we use uh, to launch the church there. It starts in March. We're going to be taking a team down in March. We're going to be taking a team back uh, the following summer. Um, the final wave that we're going to have is a wave of financial strength, where we're going to strengthen our financial base. Um, never before in any of our campaigns has, a, has, a has it strategically been a part of reducing debt. We've always been reducing debt uh, from the very beginning. But our building payment, we want to take a big dent out of the building payment um, in, in this thing. So this is why it's important. I want you to come tonight to Vision Night, because I want to fill you in on the details uh, about how we're going to do this. So what we're doing is we're asking every person at CCV to perfectly make a two-year commitment out of three areas. The first is regular giving to the general fund. This is the building, the staff, the, the power and lights, the local ministry that we do, all of that. Um, the additional pledge for Cannonball and everything that we're going to do. Uh, this has been essentially what you have uh, been giving towards for... Um, our campaign that we've done that's going to be concluding here soon and that for those of you who will be able to continue that as a part of Cannonball or to increase them as a part of Cannonball, that's what they will go to. 
And then last week we talked about gifts from stored resources. And so I'm thinking through all of the things that, that I have that are already paid that I could liquidate. Stocks and bonds. Um, uh, some of you have homes. People have given homes before to different things that we've done. Uh, cars. Uh, people have sold boats. All kinds of things. I'm trying to think of something that would really remind me of, of the commitment that I'm making, that Lisa and I are going to be making for the next 24 months. And one thing that I'm doing to remind me of that is I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink anything but water for the next 24 months. Ugh. I can't, like, I like, I love Gatorade, right? I love Gatorade for, for, like, if we ever have, like, pizza or something like that. But I'm going to drink water, and it's a minuscule amount, what I would save, in terms of buying other drinks and stuff but I'm only drinking water. I um, had a conversation with a pastor here in Philadelphia. His name is Shane Claiborne. And he spent um, uh, some time with Mother Teresa. And he said Mother Teresa um, never had warm water because Mother Teresa wanted to always be identifying with the people that she was trying to reach. And it was just this small thing that she did. And I was like, well, what can I give up? And um, I thought I could give up spinach because it's the worst. Um, but I need to keep eating spinach. But what is it that you could do over the next two years that would see people come to heaven like never before? Your friends, your family members, your neighbors. Can I, let me just give you four quick, very quick reasons why, why tithing, why the Bible says going all in and tithing is huge. Number one, if you tithe, you'll be happier. Jesus said this. Acts 20, verse 35 says, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. The word blessed is the Greek word makarios. It's the same word that's used in the Beatitudes. Happy are you if, happy are you if. And you know, you know when you go to the trouble to really do something and give something for another person, how you feel, it's the same way with our money. If you tithe, second, Jesus will bless your sacrifice. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you, but not in the same measure. It will be a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and then running over. It's like a cup, a measuring cup of flour we go and we give someone a cup. Jesus turns around and dumps five pounds of flour on us. And it's not just money. It's also what God can do in our emotions, in our families. Like the, the blessings that, that we've received when we send our kids to college. And we're like, man, I really could have used putting that particular thing away for this and this and this. And then God turned around and enabled them to get scholarships, um, for me to get scholarships to go to school, I'm just so thankful for what God has done. Not that you avoid saving for important things. Not that you avoid savings for, for retirement and for weddings and for college. But just, it's really easy to say, hey, well, I can take this money that I'm giving here and, and save it over here. And God's like, you don't understand. I'm, a, I'm asking just for a little bit, but if you're willing to give that, I'm telling you, I'm going to dump a five-pound sack of flour on you when all you're doing is you're getting rid of a cup. 
The third thing is if you tithe, you'll be obedient. In Malachi 3, God's like scratching his head. He's like, I don't get it. He's like, I don't get the math. He's like, will a mere mortal rob me, yet you rob me? How do you ask, how are you robbing me in tithes and offerings? The whole nation, like all of your plants and everything are going to squat. And he said, I don't get it. I'm telling you that if you bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that not only is there going to be food in the house, but if you test me, I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not, there won't be enough room to store it. Now, there are televangelists that will tell you, now this means that if you tithe, you're going to become super wealthy and you're going to live the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And you and I both know that's a lie. He does take care of our needs. But wouldn't you and I both agree that the thing that we really need is peace and a greater sense of contentment and for our relationships to work and for the people that we care about to have the same? Those are the things that he's talking about. But the final thing is that if we tithe, people will go to heaven. There's this little thing, that stamp that we put everywhere. Do you have that stamp? Can you put that up there, Huss? This stamp over it says 2518 slash 3000. Do we have that? Is that a yes or a no? All the way at the end. Yes or no? Give me a thumbs up. Is that a thumbs down or a thumbs up? <laughs> I'm going to take that as a thumbs down. Yes, here it is. So we just had a bunch of people baptized uh, this past week. 2,518 people have come to Jesus. Can I just tell you, like I spend time with pastors all the time. The average church in the United States has one person become a Christian. One. And it's usually the family member, a kid of one of the people in the church, which is great. The church exists for those kids too. But that number, 2,518, you did that. You did that. You made that happen through your sacrifice. And so I just, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. And so as we're thinking about and as we're praying over the next 24 months and we dream about how God could use us all to do a cannonball, I just want us to stop and be thankful for the wave of impact that's already been there. And we're just going to pray that God does even more. So... God, we just thank you so much for the things that we've done at first. The evangelism, feeding the poor, caring for those who can't care for themselves, standing up for those who are experiencing injustice. God, we truly want to not be the people who just come to church, but we want to be the people that when they talk about us, that these are the people who are upending injustice, upending poverty in our region, and upending the dark side that is planning to take a whole bunch of people to hell with them. God, help us to intervene. Help us to be generous. Help us to impact and make a huge cannonball together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.